Hello, and welcome to SBO Perspectives. I am Jack Mitchell, here along with the esteemed John Bricado. And we're here to bring you another exciting episode, a very informative episode, and one that a lot of SPOs I think will appreciate, especially in our current climate. So John, run, run them through. Yeah, as, as most of our listeners probably know, being practitioners themselves, you know, our oversight is more than just school finance. It extends into all of really the operational departments. And today we have Jim Ganaris. He's the school lunch manager at Great Neck Public Schools. And Jim does a great job kind of walking us through his responsibilities, the oversight, and really kind of the shifting landscape as it relates to the school lunch program. So he dives into all of the challenges that school lunch managers are facing across the state and the country you know, with the federal funding program looking to end, you know, he calls back to the uh, the pandemic and everything they had to do. So it really just gives us a great view of all the responsibilities that fall under the school lunch program. So we hope you enjoy our interview with uh, Jim Ganaris. Today on the podcast, we have Jim Ganaris, school lunch manager of the Great Neck Public School District. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, Jim. Jim, how you been? Oh, I'm doing good. This is a it's, new world for me. I'm doing pretty well. I know, but I, I mean, when we get into this podcast episode, I know there's so much that's changed in the world, right? With the pandemic and, and the supply chain, et cetera, right? And, and cost. And of course, you know, with the lunches nowadays, how right now they're still free, but nonetheless, it's so good to see you and hear from you. And I mean, for folks who don't know, you, you're also board members in, in my home district. So this is great. Great to have you on. So with that, We'll, we'll jump into it. You know, we understand John and I has been SPOs for quite some time. And I know John, you know, through the association, we came to the Leadership Academy many years ago. We understand the interaction with the business office is, is critical for, for what you need, you know, your support, the resources necessary. So I guess the first question would be, what's your interaction with the business office and how do you communicate or how often do you actually communicate with your SBO? So... I try staying out of his way as best I can. He has established uh, a set of parameters for me and his policies and expectations. And my goal is to follow those to the best of my ability. When I have an issue coming up, for example, this year where our bid prices could not be honored and we were going to have to break our purchasing orders and do them, I went to him and explained to him what was happening. We went around the room with the people who pay our bills and gave them an understanding. And from that point, we, were, we moved forward and we didn't have to keep revisiting it every time. He trusts in us with the, with the documentation we provided with him with the first instances of this. He asked me a very important question. Do you foresee this happening with a lot of your vendors? And I told him the truth. It's going to happen with everybody. And it has happened with everybody except for one, and that one's coming this week, from what I understand. So he trusts me um, enough to know that I'm going to do the right thing. We're going to make sure that we do that. Good stuff. And I guess, you know, that's that's critical, too. You know, establishing that trust, right? Having it go both ways. So that's good. Great, great. Yeah, so... Jim, could you maybe pivot a little bit and just give us a little bit more information about kind of how your program operates and really what's your part in the planning, ordering, record keeping, just kind of like soup to nut, no pun intended, of the uh, the food service operation. <laughs> That's pretty good. We have a very, we have a diverse district. We uh, have nine different buildings. We serve an average of 50, this year, uh, 
54,000 meals a month. Wow. District-wide. Wow. And, yeah. and that is also partially due to the free and reduced, everyone eating free, excuse yeah. me. Correct. This mm -hmm. year, so it didn't matter what, it, what was happening. And we go through a process of trying to put menu items together based on our monthly inventory count that we do, try and use our inventory first before we buy new items and create menus based on expectations. This year, the challenge was our expectations of what was coming to us and what was actually being delivered were two different things. So this year we did a lot of on the fly changes by day or by the week, if we saw that it wasn't happening, notified parents and continue to move forward. We've had in our mind that we've got to feed the kids as best we can. And that's what we've done on our menu as best we can and, and try and stay true to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The challenges that we faced have, have caused us to, to be a little bit more nimble. So that's it. Everything is recorded in our computer system, which is important. So that way we can really verify the meals that we're serving. We're not, we are compliant with not serving double or triple meals. And my account clerk and my admin team, we're on top of our orders, our purchases, our supplies, and what we need to function on a daily basis. Each kitchen kind of operates on its own mm -hmm. with our supervision. So we okay. know every month what they have, what they need, what they're going to need. And we try and anticipate giving them that information in advance so they can prepare themselves for space and whatever ordering they need to do as an individual unit. Very you nice. know, when, when you say you serve that many meals to students, I, I have to ask, how did you handle the pandemic when we were at the height of the pandemic? Were you delivering meals to students? I mean, that must have been a huge lift for you and your staff. So when we started, when I got here, believe it or not, I, I began my uh, tenure here at Great Neck in October of 2019. Not, <laughs> not, not like trial by fire. That's right? really <laughs> quick. And all, Four months. all of a sudden, I'm in this new arena that I've never been in before. Yeah. I was in, I had my own businesses before, and I was in the adult education part of food service before wow. I got here. Mm -hmm. And... I came here and this was a totally different world. So as I was just wrapping my head around what, what needed to be done, portion sizes, you know, whole grain, all the different rules and regulations, March 13th came, everybody, everything shut down and we were in panic mode, right? <laughs> right? So now all of that got thrown out of my head and yep. I got the charge from the superintendent and my, and my ASB mm -hmm. that we needed to feed these families, the governor, and what were we going to do? And we came up with a plan and we fed them every day. We fed all these kids. We did not do a delivery system because there was just no way to do that. But we divided our district into two zones. We encouraged people from the one zone to go south, and people up. on the north side of the district to go north. We didn't want Got it because we didn't want people leaving their houses, cross contaminating each other. We didn't know what this virus was. So we tried to localize it and provide people a way to get to them. We also had a, a, an amazing group of staff members mm -hmm. who recognize we have a, a community that is truly reliable only on school bus transportation to get their kids to school. They did not have vehicles to be able to get to us to pick up these meals. 
And these wonderful people together, we would make meals for them and they would deliver once or twice a week to these families enough food to get them through the week. So we kind of all just joined hands and did what we had to do to help people. That's really impressive, Jim, five months in and you're dealing with something that people who've been doing this job for their entire career haven't had to deal with. So hats off to you. That's that's wild. Wow. Wow. And I got a lot of support. I'm a part of a co-op here. The Nassau and Suffolk school districts are part of a, a food cooperative for school, you know, for school lunch managers. Mm-hmm. And together, we all were helping each other with different ideas, different packaging ideas, mm-hmm. different concepts. And every district did something a little bit differently. But the goal was to feed kids. Wow. Well, that's how it was back then. You know, we all had to sit together and uh, we got through that very tumultuous time. Very great story. Thanks for sharing. Jim. Now, now I wanted to ask you this, you know, within your capacity in food service management there, are you involved at all in, I guess, the setting of nutritional goals maybe and, and formulating, I guess, tasting committees to select foods and, and maybe set menus? Um, so, and if so, I guess, what are some of the best practices you found? So there was some sort of committee, there was a health, a health and wellness committee here. And mm-hmm. the, but, you know, we, when I got here, the cry of the parents were they wanted a better quality food they wanted greater choices got it um and mostly that was coming from the elementary level and how could we bring in other items and we were just starting to see what we could plan for september and Mm -hmm. the bottom fell out Um, so we are involved in that we have a shared committee within the high schools and sometimes the students come to our kitchen they talk to us they watch us prepare the food, they do different things like that. <clears throat> but we are getting a lot of input from them electronically now on what they're looking for. So at the one high school, for example, they wanted coffee to be served and they wanted coffee, iced coffee and iced tea, and they wanted fresh brew daily. Well, we brought that in. They wanted some sort of yogurt machine. So we just brought that in a frozen yogurt. And we slowly, even through the pandemic and our challenges, We've slowly tried to turn the way we prepare and cook food to feed our kids. So, for example, we make our own pizzas now. We're not buying a ready-made pizza for high school kids. And from that, we're able to give them a buffalo chicken pizza, a veggie pizza, different things, meatball pizza. And they really want. (laughs) And we want to feed kids what they want as long as it matches the nutritional guidelines and requirements. We can stay with it. Exactly. So it sounds like the the challenges keep on coming because you told us a great story about how you were able to adapt to the pandemic and keep your students fed. You know, we're kind of at the tail end of all of that, but now we're faced with new challenges specific with inflation. So what are you seeing from your vantage point and how is inflation really affecting your operation and food costs and just being able to be creative like you have been with making these different kinds of pizzas and you know what what is kind of your experience thus far with such crazy inflationary pricing so you know it's difficult for us to really calculate the inflation factor right now because we've had this constant escalating price point all year long a case of chicken nuggets could have been 86 dollars in september and it was 92 in November and it was 100. So that was all supply chain related. And those pressures, supply chain pressures are there and they are now being exas- uh, exasperated, uh, exacerbated 
by now the increase in inflation and fuel costs. We have vendors that want to add a fuel fee, but in our bids, we don't allow that. But that's all bets are off for September. You know, so it's difficult for me to really quantify what the inflation factor is, but it's there and it's present and it's magnified with the supply chain costs. So we're really going to know more in September or August. If the supply chain issues settle down, then we can strictly rely on inflationary costs to meet, you know, as, as a factor for cost. But I'm not sure how it's going to settle out yet. Really? Got it. Yeah. I mean, it's unprecedented, like 40 years, you know, the highest numbers of inflation, you know, Fed's trying to tackle it right now, but we don't know if they're, if they're too slow, too late, but that's, that's great, great response. Right. So I, I want to just mention, I recently, you know, in my district, I had a, I received an audit and also I had a health inspection. And I guess in the, in the pandemic era, they, they kind of been administrated more virtually and, and seemingly less often, but just so our listeners know, what can they still do? What can dishes do to be best prepared for them moving forward? Like what, what in your best experience? With regards to like health department and cleanliness? Yeah, with that, or, or even like um, with the audit with SCD, you know, and, and just kind of like, what's the, I guess, any best practice you may have for our listeners as it relates to just being prepared and, and just like, you know, pretty much dying the I's and, um, and crossing the T's. We really need to make sure that the local health departments communicate with us in an effective way, especially with changes in rules and regulations. So apparently there was an email, for example, for Nassau County, there was an email that went out or a letter went out stating that we need to have a new style sink in every kitchen, a three compartment sink. Or a three, yeah. Right? I, I never got that communication. <laughs> I did not know. Mm -hmm. Some of my kitchens had it. Some of my kitchens did not. So we were written up for that. And that was really based on my own ignorance and part of the fact that I was trying to feed kids for a year and a half and wasn't really focused, but we have no record of getting that notification of the new yes. requirement. Sure. So the best thing is to try and stay on top of those compliance issues with the health department, because they're the ones that can really cause you a lot of grief and make sure that with that, your line of communication with them stays open so that if you have an issue, you can communicate with them and get that information to yourself to make the changes needed. It's important to, to know that and stay on top of it because health and safety are the two most important things in a kitchen. You Absolutely. gotta make sure you have clean places that are that would never compromise the integrity of food mm -hmm. or the health and safety of the people you have serving that food. Yes. So, yeah. If you can get to the health and safety factor, make sure that's always there from there. It's easy to build a, a better program. Yeah. Temperatures as well. And I mean, yes. I tell you the last thing too, they, they actually, you know, want to know how, you know, how you go about procurement, right? The, the, the nitty gritty details. So it's good. Thanks for, for mentioning that. Yeah. And the landscape seems to be shifting under our feet all the time and, you know, kind of mentioning back to the pandemic, trying to look for the silver lining. I think one of the nicer things that came out of it is that the federal government fully subsidized all meals for students. And that's been the case for the past two years. And I imagine that, you know, many districts in many communities have gotten used to that fact. But as we know, next year, it looks like that 
fully free lunch is going to be a thing of the past. So going from a state of affairs where every student, no matter socioeconomic status, is entitled to a free lunch, now back to what I'm assuming is what the plan was prior, what do you see as the challenge and do you have any kind of creative solutions to kind of bridge the gap? And, you know, not to make this too complicated of a question, are you hearing from your community at all uh, with this impending change? So I will tell you when they converted everybody to be free and no charge for lunch, we saw students that we had never seen before attending school coming for lunch. I can't imagine. Um, so, and we started a change the breakfast program in one high school building. We went from serving 25, 30 kids a day to 300 a day for wow. just breakfast. I don't know if that number is is sustainable in the upcoming school year if they're going to be paying for that breakfast because the challenges are the retail environment that's outside the building before they come to school. So our goal has always been to try and give them a product at a great price that they want to have to try and keep them within us. But with the free and reduced program potentially going away, it's not going to hurt those who are directly certified or who can get through on an application. But those people who are marginally over the line, who have struggled out for two years to survive, they need that additional help. And I, I, I don't know how the government can just take it away um, with everything going on right now. I, I would try to think that they would, would put that out and give us another year and let it slowly unravel as the country gets back to on its feet and people are able to get a little bit more financially secure. You know, it, it, it's a game that they play. It's unfortunately, they play that with the lives and, and the stomachs of our kids. There is a move right now in some of the other offsetting bills to try and add that legislation back in for the kids to eat for free but it seems to be battled between other things that they're trying to do. Conversely, I don't know how they're coming up with all this money because we are being paid an exorbitant amount of money in reimbursement this year, far above whatever we got before. And that money is like a one shot. We're gonna get it this one time and then the state's gonna tell us in the year after, you have all this money in your account, you need to spend it. You can't keep all this money. So. It's kind of like a really difficult balance. You're going to get some new convection ovens, Jim? Well, that's what we're trying to do right <laughs> now. We're, our serving line equipment in some of our elementary schools are 35 years old. Yeah. But if you saw the prices of what they want to replace it with the supply chain increases, I've been in the restaurant business my whole life. I know what I could go out on the street and buy, and mm. they want to charge me like eight times the amount. Wow. They want to charge me today $7,800 for a table that I can put two cash registers on so the kids can go by when they get their lunch. Wow. I'm not paying $7,000 for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. That's I treat the taxpayer's money like it's mine. Of course. And, uh, and there's no other way. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, all the things that school districts get funding for, I just never understood why we couldn't just keep free lunch permanent you know, in perpetuity. It just makes so much more sense. It released, yeah. it, it gets rid of that burden, especially those, that marginal group that you described that aren't right. necessarily, mm -hmm. you know, free and reduced. But yeah. yeah, it's just, and, it makes so and, much sense to keep it free. 
And you don't have to chase people when they have a negative balance. Yeah, and and you can't do shaming anymore, right? That's going to be a problem. There's no shaming involved. You know, everybody eats and nobody knows anything. Right. Right. Well, it's good. Good stuff. Well, well, Jim, this has been great. You know, as we can close here on wrap up last question, what we typically ask our, our pretty much any guest coming on here is, you know, to maybe provide a piece of advice. You know, we, we understand the support and that's necessary from your SBO, but really what advice do you think you can offer to SBOs listening as far as their interaction with food service in your, in your department or anybody with their departments, I should say? I just... I, I'm very fortunate. I have a wonderful man as my as my business official. Mm-hmm. He understands the plight of my workers, that they are financially the, the lowest paid on the totem pole in the district, and they do amazing work. Mm-hmm. And for any SBO, my suggestion always is, is to find a way to always give parity to the people that are in the food service line, because it's very easy to lose them it's difficult to find them, and it's very easy to lose them to another bargaining unit within your district that can give them just a little bit more in benefits mm-hmm. or hourly uh, rates than other people. So mm-hmm. it's kind of funny that we struggle with that at times. People come to us. It happened to me this year. They came to us as a food service helper sub. There was an opening for a para. The rate of pay was m- marginally a bit more. But they were able to give them many more hours than I'm afford, I can afford to give them. And true. so it's it's a challenge for us. So yeah. I just always hope that the, that that consciousness of who we are employing to feed our kids is always there for people to understand. It's not always about the bottom line of the dollar in the fund. It's about how we're putting some money in people's pockets to survive. Jim, thank you. And, you know, before we let you go, I found out something kind of interesting while we were talking right before. So if you could give us a little hint, give us a little backstory about your your illustrious acting career. So if you find a picture on on Google, you'll see me with Al Pacino in, in The Godfather, if you Google my name. In the first Godfather movie, my younger brother played Al Pacino and Diane Keaton's son. So when the old man dies in the tomato field at, at the end, the garden, that he's playing with his grandson, that grandson is my brother, my wow. younger brother. Wow. Awesome. And when they went to make the move, the second movie, they, I happened to go with my parents. They wanted to see my brother again. It was only two years later, but the movie progresses like seven or eight years at that point. Mm-hmm. So he was too young and too little to, to take on the role. And they turned to my father and said, can we have him? He looks like he could be Al Pacino's son. We'll take him for the part. I and love it. My claim to fame is that I'm Al Pacino's son in the second movie. I had speaking lines. I was a a principal character in the in the listing when the movie came out. Good I stuff. Had incredible memories, and that was uh, I was in and out in one movie. That's awesome. Okay. What a that's cool a story. memorable experience forever. Wow! Thanks for sharing. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, stuff. yeah, Jim. Thank you so much for your time today. Yes, We're Thanks. excited to get this out uh, to all of our listeners because it's becoming such. A, a huge focal point as a school business official to make sure that our kids are being fed. And, you know, especially with the change in the, in the federal uh, funding program for food services, just, you know, the challenges don't seem to stop. So for you yeah. to take time out of your day, we truly appreciate that. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for tuning in with our interview with Jim Gennaris, school lunch manager at Great Neck. We want to thank him for his time today. He, again, did a great job, really just excellent uh, job. Yeah, yeah, showing us what it takes to be a school lunch manager and what it means to be an actor, you know? Exactly. I was going to say, <laughs> wasn't that an interesting tidbit? Yeah. I realized they were talking to somebody who was actually in The Godfather 2. And he, as he alluded to, his brother was in uh, The First Godfather. What, what a um, thing to always be in and remember, right? Your whole life and his claim to fame. But, you know, I, I do want to say that this was a huge topic for us. And we're glad to have gotten somebody like him. Somebody who actually came in right before the pandemic, too, right? right. That's crazy. And then had to just kind of do a 180 and just pivot and just talks about how, you know, with a big digit like that, I mean, 54,000 launches, woof, a lot, a month. And so, you know, what they've done there is very commendable and the relationship that he has there. I mean, he spoke very highly of it with the SBO. And so that's really what it's all about for our listeners, SBO Perspectives. And with that, we got a nice special episode coming up, cybersecurity, another important key topic. Can't wait to get on that, right, John? Right. And, you know, with this every week, we appreciate you guys listening and uh, supporting. So we're, we're at it each and every week. So I'm Jack Mitchell. We're signing off. SEO Thanks, everyone.